Hey guys, welcome back to Sarah Says, the weekly podcast with me, Sarah, CEO and Chief Scrunchy Enthusiast over at Sockbun Studios, talking about whatever it is that's on my mind. We are here, everyone, for the January wrap-up podcast. Hallelujah. We made it. I do want to start this off by saying that COVID brain fog is very real. Um, update on the COVID progression here. Um, the brain fog is very real. So I'm hoping I can make it through this podcast remembering the things that I want to talk about. Um, because like sometimes it's just, I, there's just nothing, in, uh, just complete mental block. So we're going to try our best here. But um, January was a roller coaster, absolute roller coaster of a month, very long roller coaster, happy to see it go, very happy to see it go. We have five Hallmark movies to get through, four books. Actually, I can't believe that I read four books. Um, I'm kind of shocked by that, honestly. So anyway, we don't have time for this. Let's get into it. So I guess you know, we always start with the Hallmark movie wrap-ups, but I, like, by prefacing that January's been such a roller coaster of a month, just to fill everyone in on what's going on, because I said last week, hopefully, that I would have good news. Um, as you guys know, maybe not through the podcast, but if you've been following along on Instagram back in November, late November, right after... Thanksgiving, I entered the Hallmark number one fan contest. I'd been putting it on Instagram and TikTok, like asking people to vote. Um, like, because you had all the way until January 1st is when the contest ended. And they had fan voting and stuff, which like, doesn't even look like it meant anything. I don't even know. Anyway, um, so I'd entered the fan contest and I had used a compilation of reviews from this whole past year from TikTok reviews to make my video. And, you know, the contest ended January 1st. So the year started out, the month, <laughs> it's, it's only been a month, um, was like, oh, you know, whatever, contest ends. January 10th, I get this email from Hallmark. And they're like, you know, thank you so much for entering the contest. We absolutely loved your entry. We'd love to chat with you later this week on Zoom. Just, you know, to talk about why... Uh, why you entered and and all of this we, like we love reaching out to the fans and being able to interact with them and I was like the highest high you could possibly be you know <laughs> uh, so I set up this zoom call and have the zoom two days later and they started off and they're like well this has nothing to do with the contest <laughs> so um like honestly chatted with them for 15 minutes um, about like just a couple of things in general. And, um, they were like, you know, we loved your video. What made you start doing TikToks about Hallmark movies? Like, you like, you obviously know, like, you know, your Hallmark stuff because you're not just here for Christmas. You watch, uh, Summer Nights and Fall Harvest, you know, the different names. I'm like, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> they asked me what my favorite movie was. Obviously I said Christmas getaway, I just, like, that was almost a panic answer, but, like, for the amount of times that I talk about Christmas Getaway, I feel like that's gotta be it. It's gotta be Christmas Getaway. But then I also said, like, picking a non-Christmas favorite 
I picked Love on the Sidelines. As I do really love that movie. I don't know. I because I also really love Love Locks. Anyway, not the point. So um I chatted with them for 15 minutes and as they were wrapping up, they're like, well, we're definitely gonna be in touch. And at one point, the person I was talking to, he says, You 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 might actually be it. Like you might actually be the super fan. And anyway, got off the call, was very confused. So I was like, I have no idea what that was. Like, I have no idea what's going on. I, I, like, I don't know. I came to this conclusion where I, I think it did have to do with the contest. And they were just saying that to, like, throw me off of, of the thing. Like, so, I don't know, that I would, I don't know, have different answer. I don't know. Um, And the contest, like, I the fine print said that the winner would be notified via email on or around January 24th. So last Monday on the 24th, I just like was refreshing my emails a million bajillion times, never heard anything. Um, Was like, was disappointed, but I was like, well, you know, like maybe, maybe the next day. Uh, It's the 31st. I've heard nothing. So I am assuming that I have not won. I, I don't know. Like, but Hallmark also has not I almost hate to say that because I feel like they're gonna, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna look down at my phone and it's gonna be like announcement. Um, but Hallmark has not announced who's won, so like I, I'm just I'm very confused. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea if they've picked anyone. There was like this whole, you know, thing about like stuff you had to fill out because there's you win ten thousand dollars and so you had to fill out IRS forms and stuff. So. I'm like, what, did they pick someone and like something's gone wrong? I don't know. Um, so yeah, like it's a little, it's a little deflating, um, uh, to be sure. It's like such a roller coaster. Then I get COVID and then this <laughs> happens. I was like, wow, talk about a month. Yikes. Like it not, like on the one hand, it's really cool to actually finally be seen by Hallmark because I, I've had this podcast for a year and I, I really only talk about Hallmark movies in the monthly wrap ups other than, you know, then November and December, it was a weekly recap of all the Christmas movies, not just Hallmark. Um, so like it, it's it nice on the one hand to be like, okay, Hallmark actually knows who I am now. Uh, but I also really wanted to win. So I don't know. I'm kind of bummed about it, but, um, and like, cause I haven't heard anything. So I'm like, okay, but did it not have to do with the contest and, like, I'm also still not going to hear from you again? Like, <laughs> did I lose two things that I didn't even know about? Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I It's, like, it's really, it's just an odd, yeah. But I, I don't know. Hopefully there's something better on the horizon. I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, for everyone that has kept along with that and you're wondering because I haven't said anything it's it's because I don't know anything I know zero things it, January was a roller coaster wish it had ended on a high I guess it still maybe could probably not in January but I don't know it's it is what it is at this point that said let's get into the Hallmark movies so again, we have January, New Year, new movies. I guess we are officially not getting Winterfest back, which 
whatever. I'm I'm coming to I'm coming to grips with it, okay? I love the Winterfest movies because it feels like a gentle transition from Countdown to Christmas. I'm this person where I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas movies. I love Christmas decorations. I love all of that. So when Christmas movies start middle of October and end-ish, mid-end-ish of October with Hallmark, I'm like, I'm fully immersed, you know? So when December 1st hits, I'm already like, oh, it's already almost over. Like, I'm already dealing with the loss of the fact that it's December 1st, even though you know, there's 24 more days until Christmas. And for Hallmark Christmas movies, they go until the new year. So you get 30 more days of Christmas movies. But I'm just like, oh, it's already almost over. Like, the new movies are almost done already. Like, there's only a few left. Like, I'm crazy. I know. But it's always been this nice transition over into Winterfest because you know, you're getting snow movies. They typically have a European snow movie. And it's just nice. It's just, it's an easy transition over from Christmas movies to you're still getting winter movies. And because, you know, it's also, it's winter time. It's January. And for most of the country, that means snow and or gray, brown bleakness, <laughs> like, like Ohio. So anyway, um, last year we had New Year New Movies and I thought, at the time, because, like, we were finally done with 2020, so it was like, yay, 2021, new year, new movies, and most of the movies were still Winterfest themed, so I thought that that was sort of just, like, a one-off, but, uh, no, we have new year, new movies, and then this year we only had, like, one winter-esque movie, and so, like, I honestly have to say that I was not impressed with, well, actually re-looking at the movies, it's not, they weren't bad for the most part. It's just on the first watch, I'm like, I just, I want snow. I want snowboarding. I want to go skiing. I want an ice skating movie. Give me a winter ice festival. Like, I don't, take me to a ice castle. Like, I mean, but at the same time, I understand that it's very niche. Like, you can only do so many of those. Like, we have had two winter ice castle hotel movies, and, and we've had ice skating movies and <laughs> and skiing movies. So I do understand that it is a little hard to keep exactly a winter fest theme. Um, but I feel like the movies that they had, they could have at least put them in winter and it would have felt, yeah, I don't, it would have felt, like more appropriate for the time than than what we got. Anyway, kicking it off was Where Your Heart Belongs, starring Jen Lilly and Christopher Russell. And this movie was so god awful terrible. I'm like, this is why Hallmark probably didn't pick me to win. <laughs> because look, I am your number one fan, Hallmark, but I'm also gonna hold you accountable for really bad storylines. And this was the worst storyline I've ever seen on this channel. It's like someone hated Hallmark. And they wrote a parody of a Hallmark movie that you would see on, like, SNL or Netflix as a joke. Or, you know, like Amazon Prime as a joke movie. But then it was actually on Hallmark. And I just want to know 
who was sitting around in the exec board that signed off on this movie and was like, yes, let's kick off New Year New Movies on January 1st because it was a Saturday with this movie. It reads, Mackenzie Sullivan, a struggling marketing executive in New York City, returns home to her maple farm to help her best friend plan her wedding. Yes, uh, Jen Lilly's character, Mackenzie's father, owns a struggling maple farm that is about to go bankrupt because, obviously, uh, Christopher Russell plays Dylan, who works on said maple farm and is also her friend's cousin. And they used to have a thing and then, you know... And they, but obviously they aren't together now because Mackenzie is this cliche New York City woman who thinks everything is better in New York City. And for lack of better words, comes home to help her fat best friend plant her podunk backwards small town wedding. And that sounds terrible, but that's exactly that's exactly what this movie was. I don't know a single person that enjoyed this movie. I really don't. It was it was that bad. And it like it honestly was the the fat best friend. And and I like no I like and I hate saying that, but like it just it was awful. And I don't want to talk about it anymore because it was that bad. Uh I think the worst part of it was that at the very end Dylan proposes to her at the wedding reception and if there's one thing that I hate more than sloppy writing it's ending it with the trope engagement because it had it made absolutely no sense I don't know how you could fall for someone when the whole time she looked down her nose at everything like they go to the bakery and she's like oh but can't you do anything other than vanilla and chocolate and I don't know some, one other thing and the lady's like no and and he looks at her and he's like you know this but like this is what she does and she's like but it's her wedding and she should just get more than that because she doesn't want more than that and why would you go in there you already know well, you already know what's up with this place I just I hope I'm sure Jen Lily is nice in person I'm sure she is Every single character she plays is a know-it-all. And I, I, I can't stand it. I absolutely cannot stand it. I hated this movie. Don't watch. Don't put, do not put it on your list. It was terrible. Moving on, we had The Perfect Pairing starring Nazneen Contractor and Brennan Elliott. This was the only winter-esque style movie. I loved it. First watch, loved it. Um... And also, I just want to say, Brennan Elliott is the nicest guy. So, I have a litany of Hallmark actors that watch my stories. Oh, not a litany. Yeah, a handful. <laughs> yeah, okay, that sounds better. Uh, more appropriate here. Uh, I have a handful of Hallmark actors, just the men, <laughs> watch my stories. Some of them, um, like Trevor Donovan and Ryan Pavey, will watch my stories, and they never say anything. Trevor is so prolific, it's hysterical. I will tag Trevor in exactly one Instagram story. So, like, when I put my TikTok reviews up, um, it takes four slides on Instagram. But I will only tag, like, the first one. I'll tag Trevor in that. He will not only watch that 
he'll just watch every story that I've posted that day. It's funny. Uh, never says anything, though. <laughs> like, Trevor, I see you. You can say hi. It's okay. Others, uh, like Travis Van Winkle, he normally will acknowledge that he's seen it like after his review um he did praise hands this time sometimes he'll put me in his stories um he does he hasn't after ever since I asked him to go to that wedding you know what though dude that's on you okay you didn't have to make it weird okay it was a joke (laughs) can't can't stress this enough and then you have others like Brendan Elliott and then there was the guy that was in the movie with Brendan Elliott and Allison Sweeney open by Christmas he's he's got three names they will put me in their stories and they're very kind. They're very, um, they're very nice guys. Brendan Elliott is just, he's so funny. He's so nice. So anyway, um, it reads influential and anonymous food and wine critic Christina slips on ice and falls while visiting a winery and no one knows who she is. Single father Michael and his family take her in to help her jog her memory. Wow. Okay. Again, I still feel like we could do a little bit of work on the synopsis here. So, Christina reviews, watch, she's a very harsh food and wine critic. Never known for giving second chances. She, before the movie has aired, has, well, yeah, that doesn't sound, before, like, previous to the movie storyline starting, has reviewed a Merlot from Michael's family's winery and it was not good turns out that there was a problem with the corks it wasn't allowing the wine to age properly and so that's what it was he has since fixed the problem but the review kind of tanked the winery at the time so he is trying to do ice wine and I have to say I think this is so funny because in November like right at the start of Lifetime's Christmas movie lineup this past year they did a movie involving ice wine and it was god-awful terrible it was so bad I wanted to turn it off like this was before I started actually just turning off bad movies uh it was so bad this one though is really good and just goes to show even though Hallmark did it after Lifetime it's it honestly feels still like it's the other way around where like Hallmark makes this good movie about ice wine and then Lifetime tries to do it over but then really badly um although this time it's like Hallmark's like okay let's we're gonna fix it over here so anyway Michael's trying to do this ice wine Christina shows up through a series of events ends up at the winery this is not where she's supposed to go she's supposed to go to this like bed and breakfast hotel place to do a review but she ends up at this she ends up at the winery she doesn't have her luggage she doesn't have her purse it's all gone missing and she's walking around she meets Michael and then they're kind of like well you can stay here uh and she or they're like you're staying here and she's like yeah this is yeah, like this is where I am they're like no you must have some mistake like this isn't the hotel and then she realizes that it's the winery and she's like oh I, I can't be here I have to go she's wearing these ridiculous six inch like spike heels that like all Hallmark women wear and you're like why why are you wearing that and she steps outside takes a step it's ice leg flails out in front of her she falls hits her head she doesn't know who she is and because she doesn't have her purse and she doesn't have her luggage there's no id there's no phone no one knows who she is so she ends up staying there and she's hearing all these stories about this cj and this bad review and and she's trying to help with the ice wine and this festival going on 
And then her kind of estranged boyfriend, he knows, like, he gets a call from her editor because her editor's like, you know, I haven't heard from her. Do you know what's going on? Are you with her? He's like, I don't, but, you know, I know where she is. So he goes and first runs into Michael and he's like, oh, I'm looking for my girlfriend, CJ. And Michael's like, wait, but CJ's a girl? Like, they thought that it was guy. And then he's like, well, can you just keep her away from here because, you know, we're doing this festival and I don't need her bad review again. So he's like, yeah, got it. Then he runs into Christina. Christina has just found out who she is because this woman who's been in town is like, look, I don't know what you're playing at, but like, if you want to keep this secret, I'll keep it. But like, what are you doing? And she's like, wait, what? And (laughs) the woman's like, oh, wait, you didn't know? Like, you haven't? Like, wait, what? So... She's just found this out. And then she runs into her boyfriend and they're talking and she's like, okay, you can't say anything. And then Michael comes up and Michael's like, wait, you're like, how long did you, how long have you known? And she's like, no, I just found out. So there's, you know, there's the miscommunication, which is normally not my thing, but it works here. I love the line though, because his dad looks at him at one point and he says, you know, all you wanted was a second chance from CJ, and yet you won't give Christina a second chance. I'm like, I love that. Uh, they work it out in the end. Thought this one was really cute, and it was it was a good New Year new movie that was winter themed, and so it felt it like it wasn't necessarily winter winter, but I enjoyed it because it was set in January at winter time, and it was airing. In January. So, like, let's let's keep that energy, yeah? Moving on, we had Don't Forget I Love You, starring Emily Olerup and Clayton James. It reads, Taylor opens a time capsule left by her late mother, which contains six envelopes, and each one is a challenge that her mother hopes she can complete to push her out of her comfort zone. I needed to watch this movie a second time to be like, oh, this is really sweet. I It's not that I didn't like it the first time around, but the whole time I was watching it, I was like, why is this springtime in January? <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with a stick, but I just, like, they could have put this at winter and it would have been so much better for me. <laughs> like, just, it really would have. Like, I want snow. I want pretty snow areas. It's January. Give me Give me something pretty to look at because it's trash outside. But that doesn't mean I want to watch a spring movie while it's trash January outside (laughs) with no snow and it's just gray and brown and mush. Um, What I really enjoyed about this movie is Taylor. She has a lot of, she suffers from anxiety. She does not do anything out of her own comfort zone and she is like constantly listening to meditation and self-help reflection books on tape sort of thing and her father comes over with or no she has to go and dig up the time capsule whatever um just ahead of her 30th birthday and she's like pulls this out doesn't know what to expect and then it's these challenges and she's like wait what turns out that her mother had had anxiety that she had pushed through um, to get out of her comfort zone. That's how her parents had ended up meeting it originally. And uh, because of this, though, she pretty much immediately meets her next door neighbor, Josh, who's played by Clayton, and his daughter. They've just moved. Um, 
And, you know, it sets off this chain of events for her connecting with them and pushing herself out of her comfort zone while also getting to know them. And I thought it was really sweet. The little girl was super cute. Like, she has her own sort of anxieties. And so Taylor kind of latches on to her in a way to, like, help her get out of her, like, deal with her anxieties. But then, you know, that helps Taylor. Um, The whole time, though, Taylor is convinced that he's going to end up with this woman, Sarah, who was his late wife's best friend. Um, And, like, Sarah kind of thought that, too. And he was sort of on the like thinking this idea as well because he's like well you know my daughter needs a mother figure and I was kind of thinking like we could see where it goes maybe it would end up that way like I don't know sweet idea but no thank you uh but at the very end she this Sarah girl is like it's obviously that it's obviously you have feelings for Taylor it's okay we'll we'll stay friends I'm I want to be in your guys life but we're friends and that's okay so he ends up telling Taylor, because uh, she's like, I, the, her last challenge is that she has to tell someone that she loves them. And so she goes to tell him, and then she sees, like, this engagement ring. And she, so she, like, has a panic attack, chickens out, leaves, and then tries it again and says in front of this, like, adult basketball league that he's coaching at, like, the local Y, whatever, and... Uh, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go, like, all these people were here, like, you, you, what, and she goes to leave, and he's like, no, wait, I love you too, it was, it was sweet, it's, um, I liked it, people really seemed to enjoy it, um, again, I just, I wish it was set at wintertime, but otherwise, I did relate to this movie, and I thought it was really cute. Moving on to the final movie that they have classified under New Year New Movies, Butler's in love, and it's the title for me. Like, I don't really know what you could have called it, but I feel like there was a pun somewhere in there that they could have used. Stars, Stacey Farber and Corey Cott. This was such a complete film from start to finish. I'm, I'm like, thoroughly shocked and joyed. Um, like, it just, it worked so well in the weirdest, it almost feels like a weird way, but it, it, but also sort of not. Anyway, it reads, sparks fly at a prestigious butler academy where determined Emma and rebellious Henry trained to become royal butlers. It's very enemies to lovers. Emma has watched a, like, Downton-esque, Downton Abbey-esque show as a child, and from there, fell in love with this idea of becoming a butler to royalty. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little COVID laugh cough thing. Um, why? I don't know. Because because you couldn't be. What? I would not want, I wouldn't want to become the help. After, anyway. Um, so she has like applied several times, never gets in. She like takes extra college courses, trying to get in. Apparently, butlers make, like, six to seven figures. Six to seven. Yeah, seven would be a million. What the heck kind of... Maybe I should look into that. Uh, Absolutely not. But anyway, um, she gets this call, and they're like, hey, the the person that was... Like, there was a dropout. You're next up. Do you want to go? She's like, yes, absolutely. So she goes. She tries so hard. And, like, I relate to that. Because that would be me. Like, if I didn't genuinely get the spot and then I'm offered the spot, 
I would be her, like, trying so hard to be like, yes, I belong here. Yes, I'm, like, thank you. I, I do deserve this opportunity that you gave me. I'm not going to waste it. But she just keeps messing up because she's just trying so hard. Meanwhile, Henry is a legacy butler. His parents met while being butlers. And it's like through his father's lineage, he would be the sixth generation of butler. And uh, and he doesn't want to be a butler. He would rather be a chef. So at the beginning, like, he can do no wrong. She can do no right. And they butt heads. And actually, like, I wasn't the biggest fan of him. And I was just, I was like, girl, you're trying, you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. You gotta, gotta calm down. You gotta stop. When she's given the suggestion, like, you should team up with Henry. Like, he can help you. Yeah. And, and it's like the head butler guy. I, I think his name is Nigel. I could totally be wrong about that. It's the COVID thing. And they didn't put him on the lineup here. Um, it, he says, you know, he has the know-how, but she has the ter- the determination. So then they go from enemies to lovers to friends. And then he, you know, cut, tries to kiss her. And she's like, we should not like, you know, I've got to keep my eye on the prize here. And she ends up getting a recommendation from the head butler guy from the school. And so then ends up um, becoming the butler to the royal like duke of kensington or something like that and goes to scotland henry also ends up passing and he's like i guess i want to be a butler now and the whole time she's like well if you want to be a chef be a chef like you if you want to be a chef be a chef don't don't be a butler if you don't want to be a butler and the whole thing is is he's like i want to have a life i want to have a family i want to be able to like get done with my day and play catch with my son and stuff like that um which also I'm like well you kind of don't get to do that as a chef because I do have a chef friend and I mean well you kind of do but like you also kind of don't like it's not (laughs) being a chef is also not like a nine-to-five kind of job it is more so a nine-to-five job than being a butler to a royal family of some kind but uh you know marginally so anyway um the night before he's supposed to start being a butler somewhere in England, because he's also taken a job in England, um, he it has fixed dinner, and his dad, who's still oblivious, he's like, oh, you know, we've got to give this recipe to the chef, and he's like, no, no, this is my recipe, you're not giving it to anyone, like, I made this, I perfected it, I'm keeping it, and I'm not going to be a butler, I'm going to be a chef, so the next day, and at the same time, she has quit, so she does this one dinner service, lunch service, whatever, and not like, um, it wasn't like a prestigious one, but there were, it was like royal members at the table. And I think the presumption is, is that like, they didn't say anything to her the whole time and they weren't being mean. They're just having their own conversation because if you're being an underbutler correctly, they aren't going to interact with you. Like it's not Downton Abbey. It's not fake Downton Abbey. Like they're not going to know you, William uh, <laughs> and Carson. Like, well, they would know Carson, but that's, you know, they, the point is like, you're really not there if you're doing the job right. So I think she finally gets that point. So she ends up quitting. So it ends and like, she's in the taxi leaving. He's just walking down this road, <laughs> dirt 
gravel path. And she's like, Henry, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I did it. You know, I quit. Um, you know, I'm going to be a chef. And, and he's like, you know, I took this job because I was hoping that I could ask you out on a date. And she's like, well, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened uh, with my, like, you, you know, with the job I had. But you know, I quit too because I want to have a family. I want to have time. And he's like, oh, huh. And it ends with him opening his own restaurant and she must be like the front of the house. It was just, it was such a complete film. Like we just, we got the whole progression and it didn't feel rushed. And it just, I just, I just, I really enjoyed it. I really did. Uh, Title aside, because I just, Butler's in love, just... (laughs) I really, I really don't know what else the title could have been, but I just felt like it could probably have been better than that. But, but overall, I, I really liked it. Now, we are going to also talk about, because it did air in January, but they've moved it from New Year New Movies over to Loveuary. I know. Um, I'm not a fan. I, I just feel like we could have stuck with, Love Ever After. I don't know why we switched it to Love You Wary, but anyway, not the point. The Wedding Veil is the first in a trilogy starring the main three, Lacey Chabert, Autumn Reeser, and Allison Sweeney. The first one focuses on Lacey Chabert, so it also has her love interest as Kevin McGarry. I love Kevin McGarry. It reads, the first installment of a new trilogy follows three longtime college friends who discover a mysterious antique veil fabled to unite its bearer with her true love so college best friends avery emma and tracy meet up once a year to go antiquing different city every year this year they are i'm pretty sure it's san francisco i'm pretty sure and they start off they're just walking around they happen upon this wedding and then they end up in this antique shop and they come across this wedding veil and the lady the the sale, the store owner is like, oh, this wedding veil is rumored to have magical powers, basically. Like, whoever has it finds her true love. Avery, her mother, I think, does wedding planning stuff. And uh, true, she's a true love, romantic at heart. She says, let's all buy it together. Let's the three of us buy it. And then we'll pass it down to one because none of them are married. And so Emma and Tracy are kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. They're just joking around. But they all pay for it. And then they have lunch before they all end up splitting up again um, to go their separate ways. And Avery goes with the veil to her hotel to grab her stuff. She's standing there waiting for, and she, like, or she had seen the concierge earlier, whatever, anyway, with the veil. And she'd been talking about the veil originally. But while she's waiting for her bags, she runs into Kevin McGarry's character, Peter. He has been in town for that wedding that they happened upon. Um, and they're, they're like, oh yeah. Like she says something about Boston. He's like, I'm from Boston. She's like, I'm from Boston. Um, I do have to say poor Kevin McGarry. He's Canadian. They, you know what? Not everyone in Boston has an accent. They should have just, this poor man (laughs) tried. He tried so hard. He tried so hard to have a Boston accent, but he just doesn't have it. It was so, first he just didn't have it. And then out of nowhere it popped up. And I was like, I was looking down at something. And all of a sudden my, 
the I'm surprised I didn't get whiplash. My head jerked up so fast because all of a sudden he starts having this Boston accent, but like a very faint Boston accent, like a JFK, so, like refined kind of accent. And I can say this because friend Jen is, she's from Boston and she has the accent and I have friends from Rhode Island and they know how much I love it. And like another girl we lived with in Italy, Donna, like she's got the accent too. They all know how much I love when they say my name, Sarah, Sarah. So my friends that like, it she'll FaceTime me if she's with her husband's parents and with like all and her parents too, but mostly her husband's parents. And she'll be like, look who it is. They're like, it's Sarah. How you doing, Sarah? Sarah, when are you going to come visit? So anyway, I'm obsessed. I love Boston accents. I, I, I just love that. I love my name, Sarah. Um, so anyway, this poor man with this accent. So they kind of talk, they're like, they're flirting and you know, like, oh, maybe we should meet up when we're in Boston again, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets a phone call and the concierge it's like, oh, you know, here's your stuff. She turns around, she grabs the veil and the suitcase. And that's, maybe that's when they're talking about the veil. He turns around, sees her with the veil. And so he just assumes she's getting married <laughs> for an hour and 15 minutes of this movie. Only a man would not think to look at her ring finger <laughs> for an hour and 15 minutes of this movie. So, she goes back to Boston because uh, he's like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't hang out. It like just gets, turns very cold all of a sudden. And she's just like, well, that was weird. Okay, whatever. So she, they go back to Boston. She's trying to get this uh, promotion and she works at this art gallery. And um, they, she is, gets this thing from her boss, whatever. And they're like, oh, we're working with this uh well, I forget the last name, but it's like a, a prestigious family and they're donating money and there's going to be an art unveiling all this. And who who is it? Obviously it's Peter. And Avery's just like, oh, what, what, what? What's going on? Like, so they hit it off again, but he keeps like distancing himself because at the same time, her friend asked her to be in her wedding. And so Avery keeps like having to leave to do stuff wedding wise and the whole time I'm like, just, uh, can you ask, like, be like, you know, how did you and your fiance meet? Or like, so when are you getting married? Like, um, like, what's your fiance say? Like, I don't know. Like, when you say anything that alludes to the fact that you think she's getting married. So an hour and 15 minutes go by. Like, and he's just like hot, cold, hot, cold. And Avery's very confused by it. And they end up at this wedding. He brings his, I think it was his cousin or whatever. And, um, they are, like, are at the reception, and he finally says, he's like, so where's this fiancé of yours? Like, I'd love to meet the man that's taking you off the market. <laughs> and she looks at him, and she's like, my, what? And he goes, your fiancé, but you're getting married. And <laughs> she's like, no, <laughs> I am, I... I have no fiance. I'm not dating anyone. I'm not getting married. What are you talking about? And he says, somebody's like, well, but I saw you with the, like, do you travel with the veil a lot? And, and that's when she realized. And she's like, oh my, no, oh my God. I, 
I, I bought it that day at a antique store with my friends. Like what? Like, so they then immediately dance, they kiss and, and, and they're dating. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with this because honestly, at this point I was thinking we were going to go the whole two hours when he just thought she was engaged the whole time. So whatever, I'm fine with this. He brings up this thing. He's like, have you ever, like, have you ever felt that you've met your soulmate and all this? And anyway, then they, they have their own little fight, but then they end up together and then it ends with their wedding. So I'm like, I cannot wait because I'm just, this means we're going to get to watch two more weddings. I'm obsessed. And so obviously Emma and Tracy are her like bridesmaids, maids of honor, whatever. And this whole time, like the whole art unveiling and everything, they had found this art piece that had needed restoration. And my mother is the one that figured it out where it's, it's a painting of this woman and she has this veil. She's getting married. She's got this veil. And my mom's like, Oh, it's the wedding veil. And I was like, Oh, maybe it will be what? Maybe it is. It's the wedding veil. And there's this like little heart that had been sewn into the veil with like seed beads or pearl, little tiny pearls or whatever. And that's in the painting that like you couldn't tell until it had been restored. And so Avery is like at the reception. She's like, I want to show you something. So she leads them in and shows them the painting. They're like, oh, it's beautiful. And she's like, no, look at the veil. And then they look at the, like, they're like, look at, they're like, no, can't be. And... She's like, no, I think it is. And so Emma says, which is Autumn Reister's character, Emma says, well, I can take it with me. I got the grant to go to Italy. So she's an art historian, whatever, art professor. And so she's like, I can take it with me to look up the origins of it. February 12th, I cannot wait. Autumn Reister, we're going to Italy. Ciao bella. I'm going to Verona. Romeo and Juliet. I love it. I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait. And then Allison Sweeney's movie is also going to be in Love You Wary, which shocked. I was kind of assuming we were going to get New Year, New Movies, Love You Wary, and then Spring Fling to do the three movies, but I'm not complaining. And it's with Victor Webster. I absolutely cannot wait. I love that man. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Moving on to the books now. Enjoy the View by Sarah Morgenthaler. I know that I talked about this in the December wrap-up, but I have to re-go back to it for the January wrap-up because I I had read the first half in December and I thought that that was enough. Plus, I had, like, skipped to the end just to see the ending. And I thought that that was enough to give a review on. But <laughs> then I read the second half, like, the first two days of January. And I... I... I love Easton Lockett. That's all I can say. So... It, as we know from my other reviews in December, uh, this is the third book in the Moose Spring, Alaska series. We already know Easton Lockett. He is best friends with Graham. He is a mountain man, like 6'6", six, six, can track anything, saves Zoe in the first book, uh, has twin sister Ashton who flies helicopters. We love him. He's very, like, very reserved. <laughs> oh, God, I can't. I just, I love this man so much. So, in his book, in the third book, he is introduced to River Lane, who is a Hollywood actress turned documentarian, and she is trying to make a documentary about Moose Springs, Alaska. However, as we know, the people are not receptive, so things are not working out. So, thanks to Easton, basically, she gets the idea to climb Mount Vale, 
and make a documentary about that. He gets tasked with taking her and her two friends, which are her, like, they're also actors and now they're helping her, uh, summit to get to Mount Vale. They have to bring another guy along, Ben, and at the point, that was, that was what I had read. The flames. The actual, like, this is a behind closed doors, but, like, we know that they end up sleeping together at the end, but, like, it's not discussed in any way. If it were, the book would go up in flames. The chemistry burning the pages. So they start climbing and pretty much immediately, like River is the best at climbing and things are going fine, except she has the, like, it's written that she has these very, very blue eyes, which are very sensitive to the sun. And so her goggles aren't protective enough. So she gets this migraine, like mixed also with altitude sickness. And like from that point, well, really from the beginning, Easton is just like on her the whole time. Not on her, but like he's just next to her the whole time because he's like trying to take care of her and keep her safe. So at one point they get to the veil, which is this like very scary sounding crevice thing, whatever that you climb through. I don't even know how to, like, it's like a cave, whatever, uh, that you can't see through basically. Um, and while they're going, she drops her handheld camera. And so she unclips to go down and get it. No one, like people don't know that she's done that. So like they're waiting and she never, she doesn't come out. And so Easton ends up going back in. He ends up finding her cause she's fallen. And so they like have to save each other basically at this point. And he says afterwards that night, like he's so mad and like, she's mad at him for going back for her. And, and he's mad at her for doing this. And he says to her at one point, he looks at her and he says, have you ever watched a man die? Like if you ever had to leave someone on a mountain to die and she's like, no. And he goes, because I have. And I can't do that with you. Like, I don't think I could live if I have to come off of this mountain without you. But, like, it gets to a point where sometimes they're too hurt. And you have to. And knowing that you would freeze to death alone would end me. So, like, you can't do that. Again, (laughs) so her friends end up like they just they get so beaten up by like just they can't hack it in the end. And so Easton and Ben have to take them back down like to a point where Ashton can pick them up and River stays there and Easton's like don't do any like just stay here at the get light and I'll be back. So he ends up coming back for her and they end up summiting together and, like, as, as they're there at the top of the summit, he, like, whispers in her hair, like, I love you. Like, this is, you're it for me. For the rest of my life. This is, you're all I want. <laughs> and he, like, films it for her because, obviously, like, her friends aren't there to film it, so he's the one filming. <sighs> it's so sweet. But on their way back down, he gets injured and he's knocked unconscious. And River is, like, Easton, you, like, you have to wake up, you have to wake up. She gets the radio, she gets through to Ben, 
And, you know, Ben's asking, you know, what's the temperature? What's it saying right now? Where are you? You know, do you know how far away you are from the camp at this point? And, you know, she's doing all this. And he finally says, if you can't wake him up within an hour, you're going to have to leave him. You have to get back. Like, you can't stay out in the cold. You're going to have to leave him. And she says, okay, well, that's not happening. So you're either going to rescue us or you're going to find two popsicles because I'm not, I'm not leaving him. So, like I said, Easton's six foot six. He's a mountain man. Huge Thor, burly, like, mountain man and she clips him like tethers him to her and she's kind of like crawls her way back dragging him because he's unconscious this whole time uh he comes to they make it back to camp and like right as they're coming back into the camp he comes to and so they're able to get rescued um it's just it's so oh my god it's so good so at the end yeah, she ends up going, like, they, they end up having one night together, and then she leaves, uh, and she's like, I, like, I can't ask you to leave all of this for me, and, and, like, but I'm not ready to give up doing what I'm doing for here, like, I just, I don't see how this could work, so she leaves, he is just heartbroken, and so Graham goes to talk to him, and I just, I love Graham so much, and Graham's like, man, what are you doing? And Ethan says, like, what? And he goes, if Zoe had gotten on the plane, you can bet that I would be her number one customer at the truck stop in Chicago. Like, I love you. You're my best friend. But if River is the one, what are you doing here? (laughs) Like, go be with her. What are you doing here? So Easton ends up finding her like the documentary that had been made is basically like a love story between the two of them and at first she's like no I can't do that to him so her friend Jesse that's his name he ends up showing it to like he flies back out to Alaska and shows it to Easton and Easton kind of makes up his mind at that point so he shows up in Montana because she's gone back to her family's ranch in Montana and she's like what what are you doing here and because she's so shocked and he says well I figured being with you was better than being miserable alone. <laughs> why are all the best men written by women? I like why are they all fictional written by women? I It was so cute. It was it was so cute. It was I love it. I I'm, I'm obsessed. I, you have to read the books. You have to read the series. You have to read it. To Sir With Love by Lauren Lane was the next book that I read. This came out June of last year, 286 pages, so a very fast read. It reads, Perpetually cheerful and eager to please, Gracie Cooper strives to make the best out of every situation. So when her father dies just months after a lung cancer diagnosis, she sets aside her dreams of pursuing her passion for art to take over his Midtown Manhattan champagne shop. She soon finds out that the store's profit margins are being squeezed perilously tight and complicating matters further, a giant corporation headed by the impossibly handsome but irritatingly arrogant Sebastian Andrews is proposing a buyout, but Gracie can't bear the thought of throwing away her father's dream like she did her own. 
overwhelmed and not wanting to admit to her friends or family that she's having second thoughts about the shop, Gracie seeks advice and solace from someone she's never met, the faceless Sir, with whom she connected on a blind dating app where matches get to know each other through messages and common interests before exchanging real names or photos. But although Gracie finds herself slowly falling for Sir online, she has no idea she's already met him in real life and they can't stand each other. Uh, Perfect for Love is Blind and You've Got Mail. So, I loved You've Got Mail. Um, I never watched the Love is Blind show. But um, this book overall, cute, very fast, bubbly, effervescent <laughs> kind of book. The, like, I wasn't the hugest fan of the emails that they wrote back and forth to each other. That was a little cheesy for me. Like, could have done without that. Because it was like two lady with like a lump in my throat or something like I don't know <laughs> to to sir like with painful tightness in my chest like from hoping too much I don't know that like could have done without that but overall it was really cute and I'll tell you why I've I've been watching too much I've been one of my comfort January shows is Gavin and Stacey and they're Welsh and, and third line is and I'll tell you for why um I'll tell you for why <laughs> this book it, it was cute in a different way because they so they have this online relationship and the, and they like butt heads in real life when he realizes that it's her normally when things like this happen they it's like they agree to meet and then one is sitting there waiting and then the other one shows up and like sees the person from the window and leaves or doesn't say that it's them and is like oh did the other person stand you up that's how many times have we seen that you know what I mean here they have like, they're actually begrudgingly hitting it off in person to Gracie. He he kind of just likes her in person. But he kind of keeps, like, stepping in and saying the wrong things. Also because, you know, he's trying to buy the company. And she is trying so hard not to let it go. Because, like, to honor her father. Not necessarily because she wants it still. Um, that they end up going to dinner and so they have this dinner and this is when she it tells him about the online dating and how because he's he knows that she's talking to a guy online he he knows this previously and she knows that he is interested in someone uh but it's complicated she doesn't know that it's that uh, online so in person they're like they kind of have feelings for one another, but like they know that the other person has feelings for someone else, sort of, you know what I mean? But they don't know that that it's each other. So anyway, they're at dinner. And she starts talking and she brings up the dating profile and like the dating website and all of this. And then later, um, he shows up at her apartment with the settlement check after she does decide to sell and her cat comes out and she's like, oh, this is my cat cannoli. And, and he like whips his head up and looks at her and she's like, what? I like desserts. And like, that's when he like realizes 
you know, th- that it really is her. And so then he asked her, is, like, is your online man, is that your dream man? Like, is, that, is he the one? And she's like, I don't know. Like, may- maybe, yes, I don't know. And he says, you should ask him to the art showing. Because she is having this art showing at this point. And cause, and she's like, me and I already asked to meet him. And he said no. And he's like, well, you should just ask one more time. So she's like, why are you asking me to ask someone else out? Because cause she's it, she's having conflicting feelings. Because she's like, well, I like Sebastian. But then I, but, but like, I like Sir. And you, but like, Sebastian is real. And Sir is not real. And all this. So anyway, she asks Sir. And he says yes. She asks Sebastian, like, they have a falling out, but then they make up um, as friends. And so she asks Sebastian, he's like, oh, I've got somewhere I have to be that day. But he shows up at her apartment before the show and, like, gives her this bouquet of pink roses. And, like, that's the signal that Sir is going to have. He's going to have a pink rose in his suit, jacket, pocket thing, whatever, lapel. And they are sitting there. And she's getting her makeup done by her friend, and they're placing bets. Her friend's, like, reading off these bets of what the guy's going to look like. And so Gracie's like, well, I want in on the bets. So she so she makes her bet, and she does, like, she says, and it's, like, her idea of, of what he's going to be like is it's the complete opposite of what Sebastian is. So then Sebastian, he's very, like, silent and just kind of morose. <laughs> And she's like, are you okay? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he goes, well, I, I want it on this bed. So he takes the notepad, writes, writes something down and hands it to the friend. And the friend's like, huh, interesting. And Grace is like, I want to see. And he goes to say no. And her friend's like, nope, close it up. She's like, nope, you're just gonna have to wait and see who wins the bed afterwards. So they go to the art opening and... An hour goes by. Everyone's like, well, where is he? And Gracie's like, no, it's okay. I told him to come an hour in. That way I could, like, do my mingling and stuff before he shows up. They're talking about the fact that she's been selling all of these paintings and she sold paintings before the show even started. And then she hears a voice behind her. It's Sebastian. She's like, oh, my God, you did come. Then she sees the pink flower. And she's like, what? How did you? What? Wait. That's when she realizes that it's him. And instead of being like, how could you not tell me all this? She's like, how, like, how did you know? Like, when, when did you know? Like, what? And he says, well, you know, I, I was kind of piecing points together, but I wasn't sure and all this. It, it just, it ended really cute. And it was like, it was just very bubbly. And I, I enjoyed it for the lack of the same kind of trope drama that we normally see for it. So, anyway, fast read, um, bubbly, like, it was just, it, it was a cute read. It's a very good, it's like a beach read. It's a perfect beach read. Never Fall for Your Fiancé by Virginia Heath was the next book that I made it through, starting off January with a historical romance book, obviously, as I do. This felt, though, very... Martha Waters to have into hoax-esque just the writing style of like it's historical romance and yet at the same time it also feels a little Bridgerton-esque new age sort of like it's not totally uppity historical romance like not a like 
totally perfect sort of using thou and you know, like the language and stuff and also because the butler pain is the absolute best part to the whole thing i just want to read this off very quickly because he says at one point towards the end he's heard the whole story now like everything that's been going on and he, he this is what the butler says to the earl his boss i see pain shook his head again and walked to the door it's a miracle you haven't driven me to drink is that it it's midnight i'm going to bed is that all the counsel I'm to receive in my hour of need? I am a broken man, Payne. You are an idiot, my lord. <laughs> oh my god, Payne was the best of this whole time. Um, so, oh, I didn't tell you what's up. I didn't read the book. Uh, synopsis first here. It is. Also, it's 368 pages. Came out November of last year. Again, uh, I'm just, my January is finally reading the backlog of books that I had waiting for me at the end of last year. It reads, the last thing Hugh Standish, Earl of Fareham, ever wants is a wife. Unfortunately for him, his mother is determined to find him one, even from across the other side of the ocean. So Hugh invents a fake fiance to keep his mother's matchmaking ways at bay. But when Hugh learns his interfering mother is on a ship bound for England, he realizes his complicated, convoluted, but convenient ruse is about to implode. Until he collides with a beautiful woman who might be, might just be the miracle he needs. Minerva Merrill has had to struggle to support herself and her two younger sisters ever since their feckless father abandoned them. Work as a woodcut engraver is few and far between, and the Merrill sisters are nearly penniless. So when Hugh asks Minerva to pose as his fiance while his mother is visiting, she knows that while the scheme sounds ludicrous, the offer is too good to pass up. Once Minerva and her sisters arrive at Hugh's estate, of course nothing goes according to his meticulous plan. As hilarity and miscommunication ensues, while everyone tries to keep their tangled story straight, Hugh and Minerva's fake engagement starts to turn into a real romance. But can they trust each other when the relationship started with a lie? The first book of the Merriwell Sisters series, Never Fall for Your Fiancé, is a hilarious, sparkling historical romantic comedy from Virginia Heath. So, the book starts off... Hugh has received a letter from his mother, Olivia. She is on a boat coming from Boston, where she lives with her second husband, Jeremiah, to help plan the wedding of, of Hugh and his long-standing fiance, Minerva. Minerva has gone through consumption, made a miraculous recovery, but then her poor father has died. So she is now just coming out of mourning. So now they can finally get married. It's been going on for two years. So he's, he's beside himself. He's, he calls his friend over and he's like, I don't know what to do. And his friend's like, well, you should have killed her off like I told you to. <laughs> like, you should have killed her off with consumption. I told you this a while ago. And he was like, I know, but like, I, I just have such a way with words. And I knew that she'd be upset about that. And, you know, I, it just didn't feel right and all of this. So his friend's like... I, you know, you're just gonna have to come out with it. Like, I don't know. This is, it's all terrible. I don't know what else to tell you. He was like, great, thanks. You've been, you've been a lot of help to me. So Hugh goes off. He's taking a walk, trying to clear his head. And he comes across this woman who is trying to get paid. She's done work. The man won't pay her. It turns out that this woman is Minerva. They start talking after she ends up getting paid. And they're walking and talking. And it comes across that her name is Minerva. And he's like, light bulb. <laughs> He goes, how would you like to be my fake fiance? And 
it skips over like them kind of hashing it out but she's like I can't do that like your poor mother and he, and he goes what about 20 pounds and she's like I just you know I can't do that like that's it just wouldn't be right and um you know I, I don't lie and everything so she's leaving and he says what about 40 she can't turn down 40 pounds she and her sisters are basically about to be thrown out she's 24 her uh, middle sister Diana's 22 and then her youngest sister Venus goes by V is 17 and Minerva's just she's tired she's worked hard she's been trying to keep everything afloat things are not going well so she says okay for what like I can't turn down 40 pounds because back then that's a lot of money so the next day she and her two sisters are in this coach heading for the countryside they are so totally against it and I have to say I did really like this book. It's a solid four stars for me um, because I was laughing so much, but there were parts where it was a little repetitive and like the amount of times that she had to talk to her sisters and be like, get it together. Like, look, we're only going to do this for a couple of weeks. Do you want to end up in the poorhouse? Do you want to end up on the streets? Like, come on. So I, cause I was like, girls, can you just like get it together? If anything, Diana would be like in today's world she would be the girl that listens to true crime podcast uh because she's like well what if he's a murderer what if he's just luring you out here to kill you and and Minerva's like yeah okay well he could have just done that in London like (laughs) and Venus V is like I don't want to do this what if our father comes back there and they're like her father's not coming back um and she's like I I can't lie she's 17 you know very morally right and also just very awkward so they end up there and things right away are very awkward and Minerva's like I can't I can't do this and he says just give it a week stay here for a week let's try and get our story straight if in a week things aren't working out you can leave I'll give you 20 pounds you know we'll call it a day at the end of the week things are going moderately well but she gets very upset with him because he wants to get rid of Venus. He's like, she can go stay at my, like, London townhouse, whatever. Like, she's going to mess everything up for us uh, because they've hired an actress to play the mother. And Venus, like, just refuses to interact with this woman. And, like, he's ridden off and Minerva can't ride a horse at all. And so they get into this big fight and she's like, no, we're leaving. Like, we're not doing this. And they walk into the house. Paige is there and he's like, your mother's here. She's here weeks early. She did it on purpose. Because Olivia does not believe that her son has a fiance. So she's completely shocked when she walks in and there's a fiance. Like, there's sisters and a mother of said fiance. Even though the mother's not real. So then Minerva ends up going to him later that night and she's like okay I'll do it for 60 pounds now so and he's like wait excuse me he pretty much immediately has feelings for her but he's like he thinks his father's was a cheater and everything so that's why he never wants to get married because he knew that his grandfather was and he thinks that his father was and so he's like I can never do that to a woman I never want to get married which like in some ways okay and in other ways I'm like therapy 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 would have worked wonders for all of these men 
so the plan originally is that she's gonna run off with his friend and quote-unquote elope but then his friend ends up leaving he's like oh I've got to go take care of an emergency he's like excuse me (laughs) he's like I'll be back it's fine the bands have to be read three times before the wedding can go through I'll be back in plenty of time it's fine just don't fall for your fiance Tons of things happen in the midst of this. At at one point, like, Hugh finally comes to grips with the fact that he actually is in love with Minerva. But, and so he, like, goes about saying all these things. Minerva thinks that he's asking her to be his mistress. (laughs) It just gets, it gets so twisted. This is at the point where Payne is like, why don't you just tell her that you love her? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Um ends up working out in the end my only other complaint is that it ends so abruptly that I was like what what but we get two more books the next book's gonna be Diana it's it's like never rescue a rogue or something like that so I'm sure it's gonna be with his friend I I feel like the writing's on the wall for that but um yeah it was it was funny it's a different kind of historical romance very little spice only at the very end so I guess like a slow burn um, but yeah, like very light on a historical romance, kind of spicy, but like really not at all. So also like that's, it, it just puts it in a different light. Cause that was also different too. So, um, yeah, solid four stars for me. Just haven't met you yet by Sophie Cousins. Honestly, it feels so poetic that I am ending January 2022 with this book because I started my reading journey last year with Sophie Cousins this time next year. Um, and then I went on to read so many books. Uh, all I can say, first of all, I want to start this, preface this by saying, get this book. British authors just do it better. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I said it so many times last year. Put it on my tombstone. British authors just do it better. I cannot find a single flaw with this book. It is so good. And my chief complaint for myself is that like COVID put me in this funk, not even a funk, but like it did, it's like done this weird thing with my brain where like I want to sit and read these books that are in my TBR list, but like the mental thought of sitting and reading the book. Like, I just couldn't do it. So I had had this book through the Libby app. And then all of a sudden, it was like, this book is due back in three days. I was like, oh, I I have to sit down and read this book. I stayed up until 2 a.m., two straight nights (laughs) reading this book. I couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. It is so good. It's so good. It's 400 pages. Came out November of last year. I, it's so good. Okay. It says, hopeless romantic and lifestyle reporter Laura's business trip to the Channel Islands isn't off to a great start. After an embarrassing encounter with the most attractive man she's ever seen in real life, she arrives at her hotel and realizes she's grabbed the wrong suitcase from the airport. Her only consolation in its irresistible is its irresistible contents, each of which intrigues her more and more. The owner of the suitcase is clearly Laura's dream man. Now all she has to do is find him. 
Besides, what are the odds that she'd find the one on the same island where her parents first met and fell in love, especially as she set out to write an article about their romance? Commissioning surly cab driver Ted to ferry her around seems like her best bet in both tracking down the mystery suitcase owner and retracing her parents' footsteps. But as Laura's mystery man proves difficult to find, and as she uncovers family secrets, she may have to reimagine the life, the love she always thought she wanted. <sighs> Laura, what I love is when a book can feel like it was personally written for you. So also, and I, I want to also start off by saying that when I got to the acknowledgements last night at like 2.17 in the morning, this morning, um, it, Sophie had written and she says like, oh, are you reading these? Okay, great. Like, I love to read the acknowledgements too. Thanks for sticking around. And then she says like, you know, to the people that read this, I was having a panic attacks midway through this thinking who is going to even read this book or like it and be able to relate to the humor and also deal with the topics of like memory and loss. Me. So me, 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 me. I'm raising my hand. Can we please be best friends? This book just spoke to me on so many levels. It's very much the Samantha Young Much Ado About You last year with 33-year-old Evie, I, I'm like, this is me. Laura makes this statement at one point where she says, if I could, like, if if my 20-year-old self knew that at 29, I would still be unmarried, I'd still be working this same job because it's the one constant that I have left and all of my friends are moving on and doing other things, like, would I be happy with myself or would I be upset with myself? I, I know that feeling that she's talking about where you're so happy for your friends for getting engaged and, and getting married and having babies and buying houses and stuff. And that's not you on any level. And you're so, you're so happy for them. And at the same time, you just feel like you're standing still while everyone else is moving around you. I had to sit in that uncomfortableness last year. It really hit me at 33 last year. And it's still something I'm kind of dealing with. But I really got to this point where I'm like, that's okay. Because even though they're doing these things, like their lives are also not perfect. And that it's kind of like not what you want to say out loud, but, uh, but it's true. Like, you know, just because they are doing these things, like their life isn't perfect either and they have their own struggles. So, and you know, they can feel like they're standing still compared to other people that are doing other things. So you really can't compare your life to others. Um, but I, I, I felt that, I felt that struggle. So anyway, she works at this company and a little, lifestyle brand company, writes all of these articles, and she has this segment called How How Did You Meet? And which is all about like meet cutes for in real life people basically. And she gets, they have this meeting and her boss Suki is like, if we don't 
start turning out some stuff and getting some revenue in here, um, there's going to be redundancies. We're going to have to let people go. So Laura pitches this idea. Hey, what if I took a trip to the Channel Islands? My parents have this great love story of how they met and I could retrace the steps, do that. So he says, yeah, you know what? Yes, do that. Go right now. Don't even think about it. Just go this weekend. Go tomorrow. So um, Laura is still dealing with the loss of her mother from two years ago. She lost her father at three and she is sort of like got her wits scattered around her at this point when she goes off, runs into this super hot guy at the airport and then, but like doesn't get to sit next to him on the plane. sits next to this really creepy guy. And she's like, am I ever going to get my meat cute? Like this would have been the time. So she gets to the, they land. She goes to the airport, picks up black suitcase, gets in this cab. This guy is got this long beard um, and a plaid flat cap, you know, like a newsy boy kind of thing. And at one point tells her, oh, you know, cheer up love. And she's like, this is my face. I can be sad if I want to be like, I don't have to smile for you. I don't smile for anyone. And then she kind of feels bad. She's like, okay, whatever, whatever. She gets to the hotel. She's like, I just want to take a bath, relax, whatever. Like, you know, unwind, opens up the suitcase immediately, like at the zipper, realizes that it's not her suitcase, opens it up. It's men's clothing. And she's like, what? Then she looks and she finds To Kill a Mockingbird. She's like, oh my God, that was my dad's favorite book. I love this book. And she finds Phil Collins' piano sheet music. She's like, oh my God, my dad loved Phil Collins. I love Phil Collins. Like, it's one of my, it's my favorite singer. And then, you know, he's got like this fisherman, um, like knit sweater and keys to a cabin. She's like, oh my God, I always wanted a man with a cabin who dresses like this. <laughs> and then she finds a birthday present to his mother and it's the perfume that her mom used. She's like, oh my God, that was my mom's perfume. So she's like, this is it. This is my dream man. Like, this is my meat cute right here. The love it, love it, lost luggage here. So she goes back to the airport. What She goes back out to the cab stand it's same cab driver. And she ends up apologizing. And he's like, it's okay. Like, I, I don't even really do this. Uh, like, I'm just was doing it right now. But it's like, I don't even know why I said that. And he's like, would you want me to wait for you here at the airport? Because no, no one else is going to be around. She's like, oh, that'd be great. So she goes in. This woman's like, oh, you know, we haven't had your, you know, we don't know anything else. But we'll take that bag. And, you know, you can leave your name and stuff. And she's like, no, I, I want to give this back. And the lady's like, I can't let you keep someone else's luggage. Laura runs out with the bag. She gets in the cab. She's like, go, go, go. So they're driving off. And she's like, well, do you want to know why I kept the bag? So she tells Ted about this. And they introduce each other. And she's like, you know, I'm just here for the weekend to have to do this. And so Ted's like, well, you're never going to get to all these places by yourself. Like, um, and at first he's like, well, I can't take you because I don't really even do the driving that much. Um, I was just helping my dad out. And she goes, oh, okay, well, you know, and he's like, I'll do it. <laughs> like, um, you know, just come up with a flat rate and, you know, I'll, I'll take you around tomorrow. So they go off the next day around. She's brought the luggage with her and like she's trying to look cute. All of these mishaps happen. Like at one point they're standing on a cliff and I don't know how, but like, He's gone through the bag himself and he's holding up a tennis shoe and they're like tugging on it and he lets go and it flings off the side of the cliff. 
she's like, what, what am I supposed to do about this? So then she ends up going back to like to his dad's house at one point like that day. And the dad has this dog. She takes off the sweater. Like she's had to put this man's sweater on. The dog ends up ripping the sweater up. And so she's like, oh my God. She looks at Ted. She's like, obviously I'm going to blame it on you. Like, (laughs) so anyway, like she hits it off with Ted, like hits it off with Ted's dad. He, Jerry has Parkinson's. That's why Ted is there. She finds out that Ted's wife has left him uh, two years previously. And like, he's just there to move his dad to assisted living because his dad is it's at a point where he needs help and like move him out of this house where he was born in and so it's very hard and so she ends up then like moving the stuff into this like um extra extension to the house there um to stay and like I mean she's just really hit it off with them she ends up finding the the suitcase guy and it is the guy from the the airport and like they hit it off but she's just like as perfect as he is she's like like, why can't I stop thinking about Ted like it's not even Ted like like Jasper is perfect this is everything I want she reconnects with her father's family there learns all these things like I can't I really I, I really can't go into all of it because I want you to read this book because it is so it's so good there are so many good life lessons in it but um she's talking to um gary at one point or it might be jerry they might say jerry it's g-e-r-r-y so it might be jerry but in america it could also be gary anyway we'll say jerry so uh (laughs) so she's talking to him at one point and she says like they're just taking a walk on the beach very slowly, obviously, in the morning because she can't sleep. And uh, she says, you know, how do you have such a positive outlook on life? Like, you're so upbeat still. And he says, well, thinking about the past is sad. Like, thinking about all the things that I used to be able to do is this, like, amazing woodworker, which, like, my grandfather was. So I know, like, that feeling for him. Uh, Or, like, I, I can relate to that because when my grandpa couldn't do what he could do with his hands anymore with it out in the barn with the wood like that was that was hard for him although my grandfather did not have parkinson's but uh he says you know what so i don't like to think about the past and every day my body gets a little bit worse so knowing that tomorrow is going to be a little bit worse than today i I don't like to focus on the future so i just focus on today what am i doing with my life today like what is the good in today right here right now I just really love that and to find out that he is based off of a real person that Sophie knew knows um I just like I just loved it I love this book it is so good you have to read it British authors just do it better (laughs) I don't know what else to say you have to read it you just read it read it and that is it. I'm going to go. We're finally done. January's over. Amen, sister friend. <laughs> the Olympics start later this week. Sweet Magnolia season two comes out also this week. That Those will both be podcasts coming up here. Uh, we have one more month 
until Bridgerton season two comes out. Like, good things are on the horizon, everyone. We're gonna, we're gonna make it through. And you know, we're gonna blink and it's gonna be March. That's my viewpoint on all of this. Until next time, remember, there are no bad hair days. I will see you guys next week.